You're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to find out more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com where you'll find all of our past podcasts and other blog posts that we have up, along with some other items that you can purchase to help support the Beardcast. So we hope you enjoy listening to this week's show. This is the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a very special guest on with us. We have the most high reverend, Alexis Johnson. Alexis, thank you for being here. Thanks. It's good to be here. So, Alexis, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and what you do and where you're from and all that good stuff. Okay. We also have Nehemiah with us, so if you hear baby sounds or two-year-old sounds, that's it. And it's not Matt um, waddling and toddling around. I am an ordained elder currently serving in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is the western part of Iowa where Iowa meets Nebraska. I'm the senior pastor of a larger church in Iowa. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, right? But um, have an associate for the first time and a staff. And in addition to all of that, I'm a mom of two, a four-year-old and the two-year-old we have here today. And that's it. That's what I do. I, I'm mom and I pastor and I drink a lot, a lot of coffee. <laughs> so you're a good Methodist, right? I'm a great Methodist. <laughs> No, that's great. So I've got to uh, I've got to work with Alexis on a couple of different things uh, throughout Methodism, and I got to know her through uh, her husband Mark, who's a colleague and uh, fellow student back here in Iowa. Um, so it's been fun to get to to know to know you guys and and watch your ministry kind of grow. What I think is really really neat is uh, you very casually said you had an associate pastor, <laughs> which happens to be. Your husband, Mark, uh, which is which is really neat. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of uh, being a clergy couple and family oh, in the gosh. same church, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow, that's we should tell Daddy not to listen to this. <laughs> no, uh, the dynamics. Okay. Well, so when Mark and I met, he was on staff at the church that I was appointed at. So we've already kind of done the working together thing. He was the worship leader and. So we had a pretty good working relationship, and then when he went into ministry, he went to a different church for a couple of years, which was great because he had a chance to sort of move out of that church musician and into pastoral role. So the dynamic that the church is looking for that we're currently serving is they really want more of a co-pastor model. So Mark gets a chance to focus on discipleship stuff. He's been working with starting some 501c3 um, work with uh, Council Bluffs has a really high rate of homelessness. So Mark's been doing a lot of work with that. Um, and it gives me, frees me up to work on administrative type stuff. We sit in the same office because uh, that's what the senior pastor and the associate did before us. And so we're constantly around each other. But what we found is as, as far as like a personal side, um, it's easier to leave work at work because we've already sat in the office and talked about it and done all that processing and then when we go home we get to just be home we don't have to like go how was your day and start the whole work conversation all over again which is beautiful uh so it's actually been really great the hardest part has been um the parenting piece uh when we moved to council bluffs we couldn't find anything for nehemiah because there was apparently some sort of baby boom and he was still an infant technically when we moved there. So we have to drive him into Omaha, which is about a 20 minute commute to take him to daycare. 
And the only thing we found for our daughter was like a half day preschool. So we're looking forward to her going to kindergarten next year because kindergarten is full day and that'll help a lot with work schedule. But right now it's just a lot like, plus it's winter in Iowa. So we've had snow days and we've had sick kids because we're living in a new area. So I would say parenting and pastoring has been a harder adjustment than marriage and pastoring <laughs> together. Like, that's pretty normal for us. So yeah, that's cool. Um, so I, I love the idea of co-pastoring. Um, and when it, when it works well, or when it goes well, it works well, right? Right. Um, and, and so, I don't know what I'm trying to ask or say. Um, I just think it's a good idea because we're not, we don't do a lot of that in Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we have these distinct roles in senior pastors and associates or lead pastor and kind of divisional ministry types of things. And, um, and so it's neat to see that, that you have this co-pastor model. Uh, with a clergy couple, mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think that works well. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how this goes over the years, and um, you guys certainly aren't the first, but you're certainly mm -hmm. pioneering it in some areas, so it's really cool. Well, we're the only couple that I know of in Iowa where technically I'm the senior pastor, and Mark is the associate, and I am, I do have 13 years experience. You know, Mark, like you said, is still yeah. a student here at ILIF, and I did the whole straight out of college thing, and so I've been in ministry, Sounds like my son is pooping and I'm totally distracted by that. Uh, <laughs> it could get smelly in here, guys. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think that's an interesting dynamic for everyone else around us. You know, like I said, it's not really a new one for us, but, I, you know, Zach, when you talk about the co-pastor model working well, ultimately, we're still in a traditional, like I'm still the lead pastor and he's still the associate because of the 13 years experience and you see that reflected in like the salaries that we get paid. But uh, I think what works well and what I hope I would do with any associate um, is it's a much more like, this is Mark's profile. And unless I have to step in because he's asked me to, I don't wanna be a part of it. But that's also the way I work with lay people. And I think that might be a generational thing. You know, I don't know about your guys' experience in ministry, but our generation feels more collaborative, you know, feels more flat structure. Um, we don't have the luxury of like walking into a church and because we're the pastor, people don't go, oh, you know, we have to prove ourselves. And, you know, one of the ways you prove yourself is by empowering your lay people, which feels like a really good return to our Methodist roots as opposed to, yeah. The top down exactly. pastor doing everything. So yeah. I, I, I like that. Um and, and you're right. We we have to go in with a certain sensibility of we've got to prove a little bit of something, right? That right. we're here for a reason. Uh and yeah, and, and I would imagine um so the thing that I don't have to deal with, excuse you. <laughs> Me and my excuse you. <laughs> The thing that I don't have to do when I walk into a church is prove myself uh, on, on the basis of, of, of gender or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know the context of Iowa, but I've been in other places where uh, gender was a major deal. And yeah. my female colleagues have had to overcome a lot mm -hmm. uh, in just that walking in the door. Yep. Uh, the last church I served in, I was their first female pastor. They had seen churches with other female pastors before, but they, when I went in for my um, 
I call it a put-in interview. That's not what they're calling it anymore. I don't even know what they're calling it anymore. Uh, they, you have to stay in the room. You have to stay here. Yes. Um, I asked them if being a female would be a problem, and they said, well, maybe. No, we don't know. And it turned out that the way the church expressed feeling weird about a female pastor was they could see my toes because female dress shoes mm -hmm. are sometimes open-toed. And this was like a thing. Like this was a huge, why can't we see your toes, Pastor? <laughs> right. I don't even know what this means. And it, I mean, once they got over it, it was fine. But the church we're at now, uh, the senior and associate before us, the senior was a female pastor and the associate was a male pastor. It's just that we're coming in and we're about 12 years younger than them. So it's not so much a gender thing as it is back to being an age thing. And that's been the thing that I've had to wrestle with because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm currently in an appointment that I was told I'm not old enough to receive. Um, yeah. And uh, what's funny, because most people don't realize that by this time I already have 10 years of experience and like, mm -hmm. uh, and, and having to feel like I, like I have to prove myself because apparently I don't have enough experience in ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, that, that's always been kind of, a, and talking with other colleagues that have been kind of in similar situations, that seems to be a, a bigger struggle of like, cause we're finding ourselves in our denomination and in our like kind of church world that we're in, that we're retiring a whole bunch yeah. and like us young ones that are coming in, you know, we may be walking into a church, um, at half of what they're used to, at half the age of what we're used to. Yep. And, and then, if, then there's all sorts of other struggles that come along with that. Um, especially like the, the family component. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I, yeah it's, it's just a struggle. And so, um, you know, how, like, you know, we're going to kind of hit on all that stuff. Um, what brings you joy in ministry? Oh, gosh. So many things. Um, I love, I love watching people get it. And I love being able to talk to them about how I read the Bible, how I've been taught to read the Bible, um, who I've been taught Jesus is. And for some folks, especially where I'm appointed now, Western Iowa tends to be a more conservative, um, conservative part of our state. And so being able to talk to folks about new understandings of scripture that I learned here, I live actually, um, and to like see their eyes light up and to see people fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with the Bible all over again and realize that they can take these things very seriously and give them a lot of authority in their lives and still be free to care about the stuff that they care about, like social justice and which again, going back to our Methodist roots, right? This is where we came from is personal piety and, and social justice in this beautiful mix. And so being able to reclaim some of that and see folks our age and younger get excited about the scripture and get excited about teaching their own kids the scripture just really fires me up. So that's that's I, I would echo that. I mean the fun giving people permission, right? Mm -hmm. To do something different, to to view scripture, to view God, to just view life in general, right? Different. Mm -hmm. Um and whether it's somebody our age or younger or you know, folks that are our parents or our grandparents age, right? right. Uh, this permission to go, 
oh, I can think, I can, I can think about this differently. Right. Uh, I mean, I've, I've got a 99 year old woman in one of my Bible studies that we often have that conversation. I'm often surprised at where she's at on things. So you figure, you know, somebody that's 99, they've lived their life, they're set. Really, they're, they're, they don't have to learn anymore. They've done a lot. They've earned it, right? <laughs> to be kind of set in their ways in those spaces. But she is constantly, you know, here's, here's where I'm at now. Here's where I used to be, and here's where I'm at now. And, and as long as I'm still reading, I'm going to keep moving and, and thinking. And, um, you know, not to say that we get to a point where we quit doing those things, but we do get set in our ways, right? And she, somewhere along the line, somebody gave her permission to not do that and to think about things differently. That's fascinating. I think it's fun to yeah. see people do that because I think oftentimes, if folks are open to it, when you sort of get through that raising children phase and the pinnacle of your career phase, all of a sudden you have freedom um, to do a lot more exploring. There's a lot less writing on, you know, right. if you're, um, if everything collapses like a house of cards and you have to rebuild it, suddenly there are no consequences to anyone else, right? So you could have a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. Well, that was something Mike Slaughter told us, um, was he had a mentor that was, when he was in his 30s, was in, you know, his mentor was in his 60s. He said, once you, once you do this, and you spend your lifetime doing it, you get to 60, 65, go back and pour into those that are in their 30s, right? And, and he, and he just expressing that there's something with age that we've lost in our culture that we do about, and that we don't just get old and uh, retire and be done with ministry, yeah. be done with our careers, be done in life, but we have something to give back to this world and wisdom with age, you know, is something beautiful that we need to tap back into. And uh, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, and I think even with us, because you mentioned we're facing, you know, Love at Wings calls it the death tsunami when it comes and we're facing the retirement tsunami. I think as folks who are in their 30s and 40s who do have 10, 12, 15 years of ministry, we need to go back and be talking to the high school students and the middle school students in a different way about accepting their call uh, and telling them about our own journeys because frankly, you know, at least in Iowa, I, I'm sure other conferences are having the same problem. We're at least 15 elders short. I mean, there's places for people to serve and we need folks to start saying yes to the call. And um, yeah, so to, to have this constant culture of looking up to people like, I mean, I'm sure since you guys talked to him, I look, I've looked up to Mike Slaughter for a long time. He did some really cool things in Kingsburg that we're trying to copy. Uh, you know, or, or looking up to like Adam Hamilton and all the stuff that he was able to do and then to turn around and share what we've learned yep. as we're learning it with folks in high school so that they go, yep. oh, well, yep. you know, right. if Alexis can do it, I could probably I pull it off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have that thought all the time. Um, like when you and I sit in a room in Nashville and go, why am I here? <laughs> right, whatever, <laughs> you know. How did I get uh, this room? <laughs> Um, no, but it's it's really neat to have those experiences, and then to be go to go back and and for people to recognize that that something you've done something you've done something special, and you have something to offer beyond this or that. Yeah, and, uh, that's cool. That's a great great message to have uh, and have just kind of sitting in the back of our minds of not waiting until we're sixty to talk to them. There's plenty of people coming up that have never been given permission to think. 
oh, I've got this call. What do I do with it? Right. 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 I remember um, Adam Hamilton did a circuit at a bunch of annual conferences, and he pulled young clergy aside, which at that time was anybody under the age of 35, right? right. <laughs> and talked to us. And he pretty much told us that we have to quit telling people, um, you know, for all of us in ministry in the room right now, we got that spiel of, if you're not called to it, don't do it because it will chew you up and spit you out, which we also have probably been through enough battles that we right. know there's a little bit of truth right. to that. It was like, we have to quit saying that to folks. We have to look at our gifted high school students who have, you know, good speech abilities, who have leadership markers, and we have to say, hey, have you considered this as a career path? And quit doing so much like, oh, you must be tested by fire before right. you can go to seminary. Right. Like, right. Oh, it's okay to think about this as a legitimate mm -hmm. or the legitimate way forward. Right. Right. I had a I had a retired pastor several years ago that we had a clergy breakfast in town. And, uh, they they would come and often when when people would be lamenting or um, you know just struggling with we got this going on in our church what we do and just having those just honest conversations with fellow clergy in their town and just trying to talk through it mm -hmm. in a safe space she uh, this person would often look at me and go is this really what you want to do and for weeks just would ask me that and i finally had to tell them stop you can't ask me that anymore mm -hmm. so this is this is what i'm called to be this is what i'm called to do and you have to stop asking people that and telling people this because we're we don't want to run anybody off. We want to be right. We want to bring reality to the forefront, but we want to hear that call, you yeah. know, and and foster that. And, and this question is not helpful at these moments. Right. Uh, it makes me not want to come here and say else. Well, and it's not helpful for our churches to no. hear us say that about right. them. Um, right. I, you know, I think too long we've talked about churches as clergy killers, and mm -hmm. and I know they, I know they exist. But the longer I'm in our connection, the more I think there's some clergy in their history that turn them into that. Right. Yeah, right. And so it's going to take another clergy person with enough courage to say, no, actually, you're worthy of love. Yes. Let's do this. Let's journey together and come out of this. Right? Yeah. And, and no, you can't scare me off with the crap you're going to throw at me because I'm here. This is what I'm supposed to do. It just amazes me. And, and yet we have, we're... We're under the shadow of a bunch of clergy that came in under that ethos of churches are bad, they're clergy killers, I'm the victim, mm -hmm. oh, ministry fine. is hard. Like, right. I love that Nehemiah is here while I'm doing this podcast because you're getting to see in real time what ministry is like for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that's the deal for me because we, we often get to keep this in a bubble, right? Yeah. And, and even our, even our pastoral jobs are in a bubble in a sense, right? And, and we miss these things, right. you know, and, and our churches miss these things, and, and it's and it's when we're doing this in a sermon mm -hmm. in, in our office, and yeah, no, it's good stuff. <laughs> I totally affirm him being here, it's great. Uh, <laughs> we're the first pastors in council of to have small children. Yeah, nobody, yeah, nobody can remember there ever being children in the parsonage. Right. So, it's been a learning curve. It's been a learning curve for everybody. Yeah, I've been there. I, yeah. I, I, I was going to say, that's, that's us. Yeah. the first in a long, long time. And so, it's good stuff. And it's, it's good for churches to get back to that, too, to understand what having a, a clergy family is. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's helping them to see other kids, too, right? Yeah. And, these are, 
and, and from mom and dad to kids to people. Uh, yep. And I think kids remind the church of our humanity a little bit. Uh, but we also have to like, I think the one thing, and this has been the thing we've been kind of, our little struggle has been, um, just because we're here doesn't mean it's going to be this boom of families that yep. look and act like us. Yeah. Um, and that was something that when I, when I got my current appointment, they're like, like, oh, great, we'll have all these young families. And yeah, we're getting some, Ugh. but you know, that doesn't, just because we're here doesn't mean that's going to be a natural, like, that's like, wow, we've got all these kids, like, look, there are all these people show up, and so, you know, that's, I mean, I think that that's an honest conversation that we have to have. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same with bringing in a young clergy. Just because you bring in a young clergy doesn't mean you're going to get young people. <laughs> I mean, it's not, that's not a simple formula, although what I have found, and I hope you found the same thing in your church, is it made the church more aware of times where they needed to offer child care. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well. And, and some of it is like, and I hate to say like the further protection of my children. Mm -hmm. Like they're, and it's kind of like that barrier of like keeping the church out of my family life and stuff. Yep. Like I didn't, I had a hard time when someone says, hey, can we watch your kids? And I was like, that kind of like that seminary training of like don't ever accept gifts from me like like so are you trying to get like are you gonna try to like get your kid like get my kids to like tell them to like like and so yeah. that, that that's that's there and then just like i don't know in this day and age like i don't know how you all feel but i know like for us like we're very protective of our children mm -hmm. and like who they stay with and like we want to make sure that it's safe and mm -hmm. not that I, I have great people like there are people that if they ask we probably would Mm -hmm. but like those kind of things go off in your head and it's like when you get to an appointment and it's like your first week and all these people are like oh can we watch your kids like i don't know you like you're still I'm, a stranger yeah like yeah. you know um and, and so that's always been kind of our our show was like we try to protect our like we want to make sure to provide a safe space for our kids to feel comfortable with the church and that may mean that sometimes we protect them from mm -hmm. you know being overly stimulated from other people well yeah and, and, and that's the other thing like i really don't want my kids yeah. in other houses because if they break something yeah. that's going to be held over my head the rest of my life you know, my time well and so maybe i should have said it a little more clear like what i meant was they have at the church we're at now they have meetings on tuesday nights all their meetings are scheduled for tuesday nights through the month and or it was when we got there and i was like if you want both your pastors there yeah. you have to have the nursery open yeah, right. and so that's more of what i mean is we've been working towards having nursery like official church nursery care for people to come to meeting time yeah. for um during band practice choir practice bell practice and and it the easy excuse was if you want your pastors to show up we have to have a place to let our kids go and then that means hey now we also have space for our other yeah. families with young children yeah. suddenly they feel like, oh, I yeah. can serve on SPRC because my kid can go to the nursery yeah. for an hour. And um, no, it took us yeah. a while. <laughs> it took us yeah. a while for yeah. babysitting, yeah. but. Um, yeah. Well, then that's so my church. It's made them hyper aware of my time mm -hmm. and, and their expectations of me. Um, oftentimes, if I have to go to my two churches that are far out, it's the question of, well, can you do it at this time? You know, if it's a six o'clock meeting or something, 
you can be home with your family. No, it's fine. I will take time during the day and you know, just know that I get my time in when I can. And if I don't get it in this week, I'll get it in next week. But they're they're very conscious of that. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to pull you away any more than we have to. And we will keep these things short and concise and only when they have to. <laughs> Uh, which right. is great, right. uh, and it also creates space for like safe space for your fa other families yeah. with young children because right. we should be respecting people's boundaries right. and not asking them right. to be here four nights a week. And yeah, yeah it's yeah. good. It's good. So it's a hard battle, but it's a good battle. So Nehemiah, do you have anything to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thank you guys for your time. And Thanks so this is the uh, Bearded Theologians. I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. We hope you've enjoyed the conversations that we've had today on the Bearded Theologians Beardcast, and we'd encourage you to continue those conversations online at beardedtheologians.com or on our Facebook page. We also hope that you pick up a couple of coffee mugs to uh, satisfy your coffee mug collection. Have a good day.